1: Part two of Chapter eleven of Book One of the Wealth of Nations. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Escalera. The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. Part two of Chapter eleven of Book One of the Rent of the Land. Part two of the produce of land which sometimes does and sometimes does not afford rent human food seems to be the only produce of land which always and necessarily affords some rent to the landlord other sorts of produce sometimes may and sometimes may not according to different circumstances after food clothing and lodging are the two great wants of mankind land in its original rude state can afford the materials of clothing and lodging to a much greater number of people than it can feed in its improved state it can sometimes feed a greater number of people than it can supply with those materials at least in the way in which they require them and are willing to pay for them in the one state therefore there is always a superabundance of these materials which are frequently upon that account of little or no value in the other there is often a scarcity which necessarily augments their value In the one State a great part of them is thrown away as useless, and the price of what is used is considered as equal only to the labour and expense of fitting it for use, and can, therefore, afford no rent to the landlord. In the other, they are all made use of, and there is frequently a demand for more than can be had. Somebody is always willing to give more for every part of them than what is sufficient to pay the expense of bringing them to market. Their price, therefore, can always afford some rent to the landlord. The skins of the larger animals were the original materials of clothing. Among nations of hunters and shepherds, therefore, whose food consists chiefly in the flesh of those animals, every man, by providing himself with food, provides himself with the materials of more clothing than he can wear. If there was no foreign commerce, the greater part of them would be thrown away as things of no value this was probably the case among the hunting nations of north america before their country was discovered by the europeans with whom they now exchange their surplus peltry for blankets firearms and brandy which gives it some value in the present commercial state of the known world the most barbarous nations i believe among whom land property is established have some foreign commerce of this kind and find among their wealthier neighbours such a demand for all the materials of clothing which their land produces, and which can neither be wrought up nor consumed at home, as raises their price above what it costs to send them to those wealthier neighbours. It affords, therefore, some rent to the landlord. When the greater part of the highland cattle were consumed on their own hills, the exportation of their hides made the most considerable article of the commerce of that country, and what they were exchanged for afforded some addition to the rent of the highland estates the wool of england which in old times could neither be consumed nor wrought up at home found a market in the then wealthier and more industrious country of flanders and its price afforded something to the rent of the land which produced it in countries not better cultivated than england was then or than the highlands of scotland are now and which had no foreign commerce the materials of clothing would evidently be so superabundant that a great part of them would be thrown away as useless and no part could afford any rent to the landlord the materials of lodging cannot always be transported to so great a distance as those of clothing, and do not so readily become an object of foreign commerce. When they are superabundant in the country which produces them, it frequently happens, even in the present commercial state of the world, that they are of no value to the landlord. A good stone quarry in the neighbourhood of London would afford a considerable rent. In many parts of Scotland and Wales it affords none barren timber for building is of great value in a populous and well-cultivated country and the land which produces it affords a considerable rent but in many parts of north america the landlord would be much obliged to anybody who would carry away the greater part of his large trees in some parts of the highlands of scotland the bark is the only part of the wood which for want of roads and water carriage can be sent to market the timber is left to rot upon the ground When the materials of lodging are so superabundant, the part made use of is worth only the labour and expense of fitting it for that use. It affords no rent to the landlord, who generally grants the use of it to whoever takes the trouble of asking it. The demand of wealthier nations, however, sometimes enables him to get a rent for it. The paving of the streets of London has enabled the owners of some barren rocks on the coast of Scotland to draw a rent from what never afforded any before. The woods of Norway, and of the coasts of the Baltic, find a market in many parts of Great Britain, which they could not find at home, and thereby afford some rent to their proprietors. Countries are populous, not in proportion to the number of people whom their produce can clothe and lodge, but in proportion to that of those whom it can feed. When food is provided, it is easy to find the necessary clothing and lodging, but though these are at hand, it may often be difficult to find food. In some parts of the British dominions, what is called a house, may be built by one day's labour of one man. The simplest species of clothing, the skins of animals, require somewhat more labour to dress and prepare them for use. They do not, however, require a great deal. Among savage or barbarous nations, a hundredth or little more than a hundredth part of the labour of the whole year will be sufficient to provide them with such clothing and lodging as satisfy the greater part of the people. All the other ninety-nine parts are frequently no more than enough to provide them with food. But when, by the improvement and cultivation of land, the labour of one family can provide food for two, the labour of half the society becomes sufficient to provide food for the whole. The other half, therefore, or at least the greater part of them, can be employed in providing other things, or in satisfying the other wants and fancies of mankind. Clothing and lodging household furniture and what is called equipage are the principal objects of the greater part of those wants and fancies the rich man consumes no more food than his poor neighbour in quality it may be very different and to select and prepare it may require more labour and art but in quantity it is very nearly the same but compare the spacious palace and great wardrobe of the one with the hovel and the few rags of the other and you will be sensible that the difference between their clothing lodging, and household furniture, is almost as great in quantity as it is in quality. The desire of food is limited in every man by the narrow capacity of the human stomach. But the desire of the conveniencies and ornaments of building, dress, equipage, and household furniture seems to have no limit or certain boundary. Those therefore who have the command of more food than they themselves can consume, are always willing to exchange the surplus, or, what is the same thing, the price of it, for gratifications of this other kind what is over and above satisfying the limited desire is given for the amusement of those desires which cannot be satisfied but seem to be altogether endless the poor in order to obtain food exert themselves to gratify those fancies of the rich and to obtain it more certainly they vie with one another in the cheapness and perfection of their work The number of workmen increases with the increasing quantity of food, or with the growing improvement and cultivation of the lands, and, as the nature of their business admits of the utmost subdivisions of labour, the quantity of materials which they can work up increases in a much greater proportion than their numbers. Hence arises a demand for every sort of material which human invention can employ, either usefully or ornamentally, in building, dress, equipage, or household furniture for the fossils and minerals contained in the bowels of the earth, the precious metals, and the precious stones. Food is, in this manner, not only the original source of rent, but every other part of the produce of land which afterwards affords rent, derives that part of its value from the improvement of the powers of labour in producing food, by means of the improvement and cultivation of land. Those other parts of the produce of land, however, which afterwards afford rent, do not afford it always even in improved and cultivated countries the demand for them is not always such as to afford a greater price than what is sufficient to pay the labour and replace together with its ordinary profits the stock which must be employed in bringing them to market whether it is or is not such depends upon different circumstances whether a coal mine for example can afford any rent depends partly upon its fertility and partly upon its situation a mine of any kind may be said to be either fertile or barren according as the quantity of mineral which can be brought from it by a certain quantity of labour is greater or less than what can be brought by an equal quantity from the greater part of other mines of the same kind some coal mines advantageously situated cannot be wrought on account of their barrenness the produce does not pay the expense they can afford neither profit nor rent There are some, of which the produce is barely sufficient to pay the labour, and replace together with its ordinary profits, the stock employed in working them. They afford some profit to the undertaker of the work, but no rent to the landlord. They can be wrought advantageously by nobody but the landlord, who, being himself the undertaker of the work, gets the ordinary profit of the capital which he employs in it. Many coal-mines in Scotland are wrought in this manner, and can be wrought in no other the landlord will allow nobody else to work them without paying some rent, and nobody can afford to pay any. Other coal mines in the same country, sufficiently fertile, cannot be wrought on account of their situation. A quantity of mineral, sufficient to defray the expense of working, could be brought from the mine by the ordinary, or even less than the ordinary, quantity of labor. But in an inland country, thinly inhabited, and without either good roads or water carriage, this quantity could not be sold coals are a less agreeable fuel than wood they are said too to be less wholesome the expense of coals therefore at the place where they are consumed must generally be somewhat less than that of wood the price of wood again varies with the state of agriculture nearly in the same manner and exactly for the same reason as the price of cattle in its rude beginnings the greater part of every country is covered with wood which is then a mere encumbrance of no value to the landlord who would gladly give it to anybody for the cutting as agriculture advances the woods are partly cleared by the progress of tillage and partly go to decay in consequence of the increased number of cattle these though they do not increase in the same proportion as corn which is altogether the acquisition of human industry yet multiply under the care and protection of men who store up in the season of plenty what may maintain them in that of scarcity who through the whole year furnish them with a greater quantity of food than uncultivated nature provides for them and who by destroying and extirpating their enemies secure them in the free enjoyment of all that she provides numerous herds of cattle when allowed to wander through the woods though they do not destroy the old trees hinder any young ones from coming up so that in the course of a century or two the whole forest goes to ruin the scarcity of wood then raises its price It affords a good rent, and the landlord sometimes finds that he can scarce employ his best lands more advantageously than in growing barren timber, of which the greatness of the profit often compensates the lateness of the returns. This seems, in the present times, to be nearly the state of things in several parts of Great Britain, where the profit of planting is found to be equal to that of either corn or pasture. The advantage which the landlord derives from planting can nowhere exceed, at least for any considerable time, the rent which these could afford him and in an inland country which is highly cultivated it will frequently not fall much short of this rent upon the sea-coast of a well-improved country indeed if coals can conveniently be had for fuel it may sometimes be cheaper to bring barren timber for building from less cultivated foreign countries than to raise it at home in the new town of edinburgh built within these few years there is not perhaps a single stick of scotch timber whatever may be the price of wood if that of coals is such that the expense of a coal fire is nearly equal to that of a wood one we may be assured that at that place and in these circumstances the price of coals is as high as it can be it seems to be so in some of the inland parts of england particularly in oxfordshire where it is usual even in the fires of the common people to mix coals and wood together and where the difference in the expense of those two sorts of fuel cannot therefore be very great coals in the coal country are everywhere much below this highest price if they were not they could not bear the expense of a distant carriage either by land or by water a small quantity only could be sold and the coal masters and the coal proprietors find it more for their interest to sell a great quantity at a price somewhat above the lowest than a small quantity at the highest the most fertile coal mine too regulates the price of coals at all the other mines in its neighbourhood Both the proprietor and the undertaker of the work find, the one that he can get a greater rent, the other that he can get a greater profit, by somewhat underselling all their neighbors. Their neighbors are soon obliged to sell at the same price, though they cannot so well afford it, and though it always diminishes, and sometimes takes away altogether, both their rent and their profit. Some works are abandoned altogether. Others can afford no rent, and can be wrought only by the proprietor the lowest price at which coals can be sold for any considerable time is like that of all other commodities the price which is barely sufficient to replace together with its ordinary profits the stock which must be employed in bringing them to market at a coal-mine for which the landlord can get no rent but which he must either work himself or let it alone altogether the price of coals must generally be nearly about this price rent, even where coals afford one, has generally a smaller share in their price than in that of most other parts of the rude produce of land. The rent of an estate above ground commonly amounts to what is supposed to be a third of the gross produce, and it is generally a rent certain and independent of the occasional variations in the crop. In coal-mines a fifth of the gross produce is a very great rent, a tenth the common rent, and it is seldom a rent certain but depends upon the occasional variations in the produce. These are so great, that in a country where thirty years' purchase is considered as a moderate price for the property of a landed estate, ten years' purchase is regarded as a good price for that of a coal-mine. The value of a coal-mine to the proprietor frequently depends as much upon its situation as upon its fertility. That of a metallic mine depends more upon its fertility and less upon its situation. The coarse, and still more the precious metals, when separated from the ore, are so valuable that they can generally bear the expense of a very long land, and of the most distant sea carriage. Their market is not confined to the countries in the neighborhood of the mine, but extends to the whole world. The copper of Japan makes an article of commerce in Europe, the iron of Spain in that of Chile and Peru. The silver of Peru finds its way not only to Europe, but from Europe to China. The price of coals in Westmoreland, or Shropshire, can have little effect on their price at Newcastle, and their price in the Leonoy can have none at all. The productions of such distant coal mines can never be brought into competition with one another, but the productions of the most distant metallic mines frequently may, and in fact commonly are. The price, therefore, of the coarse, and still more that of the precious metals, at the most fertile mines in the world, must necessarily more or less affect their price at every other in it the price of copper in japan must have some influence upon its price at the copper mines in europe the price of silver in peru or the quantity either of labour or of other goods which it will purchase there must have some influence on its price not only at the silver mines of europe but at those of china after the discovery of the mines of peru the silver mines of europe were the greater part of them abandoned the value of silver was so much reduced that their produce could no longer pay the expense of working them or replace with a profit the food clothes lodging and other necessaries which were consumed in that operation this was the case too with the mines of cuba and st domingo and even with the ancient mines of peru after the discovery of those of potosi The price of every metal, at every mine, therefore, being regulated in some measure by its price at the most fertile mine in the world that is actually wrought, it can, at the greater part of mines, do very little more than pay the expense of working, and can seldom afford a very high rent to the landlord. Rent accordingly seems at the greater part of mines to have but a small share in the price of the course, and a still smaller in that of the precious metals. Labour and profit make up the greater part of both. A sixth part of the gross produce may be reckoned the average rent of the tin mines of Cornwall, the most fertile that are known in the world, as we are told by the Reverend Mr. Borlace, vice-warden of the Stanneries. Some, he says, afford more, and some do not afford so much. A sixth part of the gross produce is the rent, too, of several very fertile lead mines in Scotland in the silver mines of peru we are told by Frazier and ulloa the proprietor frequently exacts no other acknowledgment from the undertaker of the mine but that he will grind the ore at his mill paying him the ordinary multure or price of grinding till seventeen thirty six indeed the tax of the king of spain amounted to one-fifth of the standard silver which till then might be considered as the real rent of the greater part of the silver mines of peru the richest which have been known in the world if there had been no tax, this fifth would naturally have belonged to the landlord, and many mines might have been wrought which could not then be wrought, because they could not afford this tax. The tax of the Duke of Cornwall upon ten is supposed to amount to more than five per cent, or one-twentieth part of the value, and whatever may be his proportion it would naturally too belong to the proprietor of the mine if ten was duty free but if you add one-twentieth to one-sixth you will find that the whole average rent of the ten mines of cornwall was to the whole average rent of the silver mines of peru as thirteen to twelve but the silver mines of peru are not now able to pay even this low rent and the tax upon silver was in seventeen thirty six reduced from one-fifth to one-tenth even this tax upon silver too gives more temptation to smuggling than the tax of one-twentieth upon ten and the smuggling must be much easier in the precious than in the bulky commodity the tax of the king of spain accordingly is said to be very ill paid and that of the duke of cornwall very well rent therefore it is probable makes a greater part of the price of tin at the most fertile tin mines than it does of silver at the most fertile silver mines in the world after replacing the stock employed in working those different mines together with its ordinary profits the residue which remains to the proprietor is greater it seems in the course than in the precious metal neither are the profits of the undertakers of silver mines commonly very great in peru The same most respectable and well-informed authors acquaint us that, when any person undertakes to work a new mine in Peru, he is universally looked upon as a man destined to bankruptcy and ruin, and is upon that account shunned and avoided by everybody. Mining, it seems, is considered there in the same light as here, as a lottery in which the prizes do not compensate the blanks, though the greatness of some tempts many adventurers to throw away their fortunes in such unprosperous projects as the sovereign however derives a considerable part of his revenue from the produce of silver mines the law in peru gives every possible encouragement to the discovery and working of new ones whoever discovers a mine is entitled to measure off two hundred and forty-six feet in length according to what he supposes to be the direction of the vein and half as much in breadth he becomes proprietor of this portion of the mine and can work it without paying any acknowledgment to the landlord the interest of the Duke of Cornwall has given occasion to a regulation nearly of the same kind in that ancient duchy. In waste and unenclosed lands, any person who discovers a tin mine may mark out its limits to a certain extent, which is called bounding a mine. The bounder becomes the real proprietor of the mine, and may either work it himself, or give it in lease to another, without the consent of the owner of the land, to whom, however, a very small acknowledgement must be paid upon working it. In both regulations, the sacred rights of private property are sacrificed to the supposed interest of public revenue. The same encouragement is given in Peru to the discovery and working of new gold-mines, and in gold the king's tax amounts only to a twentieth part of the standard rental. It was once a fifth, and afterwards a tenth, as in silver, but it was found that the work could not bear even the lowest of these two taxes. If it is rare, however, say the same authors, Frasier and Ulloa, to find a person who has made his fortune by a silver, it is still much rarer to find one who has done so by a gold mine. This twentieth part seems to be the whole rent which is paid by the greater part of the gold mines of Chile and Peru. Gold, too, is much more liable to be smuggled than even silver, not only on account of the superior value of the metal in proportion to its bulk, but on account of the peculiar way in which nature produces it. Silver is very seldom found virgin, but like most other metals is generally mineralized with some other body from which it is impossible to separate it in such quantities as will pay for the expense, but by a very laborious and tedious operation which cannot well be carried on but in workhouses erected for the purpose, and therefore exposed to the inspection of the king's officers. Gold, on the contrary, is almost always found virgin it is sometimes found in pieces of some bulk and even when mixed in small and almost insensible particles with sand earth and other extraneous bodies it can be separated from them by a very short and simple operation which can be carried on in any private house by anybody who is possessed of a small quantity of mercury if the king's tax therefore is but ill paid upon silver it is likely to be much worse paid upon gold and rent must make a much smaller part of the price of gold than that of silver The lowest price at which the precious metals can be sold, or the smallest quantity of other goods for which they can be exchanged, during any considerable time, is regulated by the same principles which fix the lowest ordinary price of all other goods. The stock which must commonly be employed, the food, clothes, and lodging, which must commonly be consumed in bringing them from the mine to the market, determine it. It must at least be sufficient to replace that stock with the ordinary profits. Their highest price, however, seems not to be necessarily determined by anything but the actual scarcity or plenty of these metals themselves. It is not determined by that of any other commodity, in the same manner as the price of coals is by that of wood, beyond which no scarcity can ever raise it. Increase the scarcity of gold to a certain degree, and the smallest bit of it may become more precious than a diamond, and exchange for a greater quantity of other goods. The demand for those metals arises partly from their utility, and partly from their beauty. If you accept iron, they are more useful than, perhaps, any other metal. As they are less liable to rust and impurity, they can more easily be kept clean, and the utensils, either of the table or the kitchen, are often, upon that account, more agreeable when made of them. A silver boiler is more cleanly than a lead, copper, or tin one, and the same quality would render a gold boiler still better than a silver one. Their principal merit, however, arises from their beauty, which renders them peculiarly fit for the ornaments of dress and furniture. No paint or dye can give so splendid a colour as gilding. The merit of their beauty is greatly enhanced by their scarcity. With the greater part of rich people, the chief enjoyment of riches consists in the parade of riches, which, in their eye, is never so complete as when they appear to possess those decisive marks of opulence which nobody can possess but themselves. In their eyes, the merit of an object, which is, in any degree, either useful or beautiful, is greatly enhanced by its scarcity, or by the great labour which it requires to collect any considerable quantity of it, a labour which nobody can afford to pay but themselves. Such objects they are willing to purchase at a higher price than things much more beautiful and useful, but more common. These qualities of utility, beauty, and scarcity, are the original foundation of the high price of those metals, or of the great quantity of other goods for which they can everywhere be exchanged. This value was antecedent to, and independent of, their being employed as coin, and was the quality which fitted them for that employment. That employment, however, by occasioning a new demand, and by diminishing the quantity which could be employed in any other way, may have afterwards contributed to keep up or increase their value the demand for the precious stones arises altogether from their beauty they are of no use but as ornaments and the merit of their beauty is greatly enhanced by their scarcity or by the difficulty and expense of getting them from the mine wages and profit accordingly make up upon most occasions almost the whole of the high price rent comes in but for a very small share frequently for no share and the most fertile mines only afford any considerable rent When Tavernier, a jeweler, visited the diamond mines of Golconda and Bejapur, he was informed that the sovereign of the country, for whose benefit they were wrought, had ordered all of them to be shut up except those which yielded the largest and finest stones. The other, it seems, were to the proprietor not worth the working. As the prices, both of the precious metals and of the precious stones, is regulated all over the world by their price at the most fertile mine in it, The rent which a mine of either can afford to its proprietor is in proportion not to its absolute, but to what may be called its relative fertility, or to its superiority over other mines of the same kind. If new mines were discovered as much superior to those of Potosi as they were superior to those of Europe, the value of silver might be so much degraded as to render even the mines of Potosi not worth the working before the discovery of the spanish west indies the most fertile mines in europe may have afforded as great a rent to their proprietors as the richest mines in peru do at present though the quantity of silver was much less it might have exchanged for an equal quantity of other goods and the proprietor's share might have enabled him to purchase or command an equal quantity either of labor or of commodities the value both of the produce and of the rent the real revenue which they afforded both to the public and to the proprietor might have been the same the most abundant mines either of the precious metals or of the precious stones could add little to the wealth of the world a produce of which the value is principally derived from its scarcity is necessarily degraded by its abundance A service of plate, and the other frivolous ornaments of dress and furniture, could be purchased for a smaller quantity of commodities, and in this would consist the sole advantage which the world could derive from that abundance. It is otherwise in estates above ground. The value both of their produce and of their rent is in proportion to their absolute and not to their relative fertility. The land which produces a certain quantity of food, clothes, and lodging, can always feed, clothe, and lodge a certain number of people and whatever may be the proportion of the landlord it will always give him a proportionable command of the labour of those people and of the commodities with which that labour can supply him the value of the most barren land is not diminished by the neighbourhood of the most fertile on the contrary it is generally increased by it the great number of people maintained by the fertile lands afford a market to many parts of the produce of the barren which they could never have found among those whom their own produce could maintain Whatever increases the fertility of land in producing food, increases not only the value of the lands upon which the improvement is bestowed, but contributes likewise to increase that of many other lands, by creating a new demand for their produce. That abundance of food, of which, in consequence of the improvement of land, many people have the disposal beyond what they themselves can consume, is the great cause of the demand both for the precious metals and the precious stones as well as for every other convenience and ornament of dress lodging household furniture and equipage food not only constitutes the principal part of the riches of the world but it is the abundance of food which gives the principal part of their value to many other sorts of riches the poor inhabitants of cuba and st domingo when they were first discovered by the spaniards used to wear little bits of gold as ornaments in their hair and other parts of their dress they seemed to value them as we would do any little pebbles of somewhat more than ordinary beauty, and to consider them as just worth the picking up, but not worth the refusing to anybody who asked them. They gave them to their new guests at the first request, without seeming to think that they had made them any very valuable present. They were astonished to observe the rage of the Spaniards to obtain them and had no notion that there could anywhere be a country in which many people had the disposal of so great a superfluity of food, so scanty always among themselves, that, for a very small quantity of those glittering baubles, they would willingly give as much as might maintain a whole family for many years. Could they have been made to understand this, the passion of the Spaniards would not have surprised them. Part three of the variations in the proportion between the respective values of that sort of produce which always affords rent, and of that which sometimes does, and sometimes does not, afford rent. The increasing abundance of food, in consequence of the increasing improvement in cultivation, must necessarily increase the demand for every part of the produce of land which is not food, and which can be applied either to use or to ornament in the whole progress of improvement it might therefore be expected there should be only one variation in the comparative values of those two different sorts of produce the value of that sort which sometimes does and sometimes does not afford rent should constantly rise in proportion to that which always affords some rent as art and industry advance the materials of clothing and lodging the useful fossils and materials of the earth the precious metals and the precious stones should gradually come to be more and more in demand should gradually exchange for a greater and a greater quantity of food, or, in other words, should gradually become dearer and dearer. This, accordingly, has been the case with most of these things upon most occasions, and would have been the case with all of them upon all occasions, if particular accidents had not, upon some occasions, increased the supply of some of them in a still greater proportion than the demand. The value of a free stone quarry, for example, will necessarily increase with the increasing improvement in population of the country round about it, especially if it should be the only one in the neighborhood. But the value of a silver mine, even though there should not be another within a thousand miles of it, will not necessarily increase with the improvement of the country in which it is situated. The market for the produce of a free stone quarry can seldom extend more than a few miles round about it. And the demand must generally be in proportion to the improvement and population of that small district. But the market for the produce of a silver mine may extend over the whole known world. Unless the world in general therefore be advancing in improvement and population, the demand for silver might not be at all increased by the improvement even of a large country in the neighbourhood of the mine. Even though the world in general were improving, yet if in the course of its improvements new mines should be discovered much more fertile than any which had been known before though the demand for silver would necessarily increase yet the supply might increase in so much greater proportion that the real price of that metal might gradually fall that is any given quantity a pound weight of it for example might gradually purchase or command a smaller and a smaller quantity of labour or exchange for a smaller and a smaller quantity of corn the principal part of the subsistence of the labourer. The great market for silver is the commercial and civilized part of the world. If by the general progress of improvement the demand of this market should increase, while at the same time the supply did not increase in the same proportion, the value of silver would gradually rise in proportion to that of corn. Any given quantity of silver would exchange for a greater and a greater quantity of corn, or, in other words, the average money price of corn would gradually become cheaper and cheaper. If, on the contrary, the supply by some accident should increase for many years together in a greater proportion than the demand, that metal would gradually become cheaper and cheaper, or, in other words, the average money price of corn would, in spite of all improvements, gradually become dearer and dearer. But if, on the other hand, the supply of that metal should increase nearly in the same proportion as the demand, it would continue to purchase or exchange for nearly the same quantity of corn, and the average money price of corn would, in spite of all improvements, continue very nearly the same. These three seem to exhaust all the possible combinations of events which can happen in the progress of improvement. And during the course of the four centuries preceding the present, if we may judge by what has happened both in France and Great Britain, each of those three different combinations seems to have taken place in the European market, and nearly in the same order too, in which I have here set them down. End of Book 1, Chapter 11, Part 2 Do you
0: love the American Constitution? We too. Please help letting this podcast survive in the current cancel culture. Amazon recently deleted our Peter Kanzler collection, probably for being too cheap. It was Locke, Hobbes, and the US Constitution for only 15 bucks. Check out our Peter Kanzler at Barnes & Noble, Lulu, or do a quick DuckDuckGo search to buy American collections that come at the lowest price possible to keep civil law great. That's P.E. T-E-R-K-A-N-Z-L-E-R, featuring the original texts from Locke, Hobbes, Rousseau, the US Constitution, Machiavelli, and many more, always bound together in just one book. Thank you very much.